I'm excited to welcome back IWI as a sponsor of the Three Gun Show. Longtime listeners will remember IWI and the Three Gun Show's runs at Red October and Kalash Bash with their Galil Ace. Available in 545 x 39 762 x 39 and 5.56, the Galil Ace is an absolute dominator at AK matches. IWI has released a Gen 2 of the Ace with tons of upgrades featuring a free float M-Lock handguard, an updated trigger profile, shortened safety throw, and it now ships with a Magpul CTR stock with a little cheek riser in there so you can see through your scope. And now IWI has joined the AR-15 game as well. Their Zion 15 is available in both a 12.5 or 16-inch barrel with a 5.56 chamber, and it features a free float handguard in 11.5 or 15 inches, respectively. With a mid-length gas system and a 1.8 twist, the IWI checks all of the boxes at an incredibly low price. Whether you're looking for a bullpup, traditional rifle, or a pistol, IWI has several options to satisfy your needs. This episode of the Three Gun Show is sponsored by Isotune Sport. Isotune Sport makes advanced Bluetooth hearing protection for shooters. My hearing is very important to me for obvious reasons, and I absolutely love how quickly their tactical sound control reacts to cut out loud gunfire. One feature, though, that I never thought I would use on the range is Bluetooth technology, and I'm actually kind of loving it. Isotune Sport Ear Pro easily connects to my phone, and from there, I can listen to some Beastie Boys or Poison or even a podcast to get me in the zone while I'm setting up for practice or stirring a rifle, something like that. And if I'm caught by surprise by gunfire from the next bay over, I know that my hearing is safe. Lately, I've been rocking the wireless in-ear caliber model because they are lightweight, have a great uh, battery life, and won't get tangled in the buttstock of my long guns. You can check them out for yourself. I'll have a link in the show notes at 3gunshow.com. I'm pumped to be working with Isotune Sport, and I thank them for sponsoring the show. Welcome to the 3Gun Show. I'm your host, Dave Hartman. This is episode 355, and you can find links to things that I discuss in this podcast at 3gunshow.com slash 355. Chuck Pressburg is my guest on this week's show, and he's here to tell us about the evolution of the low-power variable optic. Who is Chuck Pressburg? Chuck is owner of PressCheck Consulting, and he provides training in the areas of close quarters combat, urban operations, and night vision. He also has his own website and uh, bio which I'll link to in the show notes, but you can read it just a little bit, or I'll, let me read just a little bit of that to you here. Sergeant Major Pressburg retired from the U.S. Army on January 1st, 2017, after 26 years of active service, mostly in special operations and special missions units. After infantry and airborne training in 1990, Chuck completed the Ranger Indoctrination Program and was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. And then Chuck lists uh, several points of experience, but the one that stood out to me most and relates to our topic here is this piece. While assigned to USA SOC, Chuck graduated from the Defense Acquisitions University's Combat Developers course and the Human Factors Engineering course. Chuck spent several years assisting in material acquisition programs for SOF. So, Chuck has been around for a lot of the modern research and development of weapons and accessories. And today we're talking about the evolution of the LPVO. 
One last thing. I have something really cool to tell you about, but I don't want to make you wait for the interview any longer. So sit tight, enjoy this interview with Chuck, and I'll tell you afterward. Chuck, thanks for joining me here. We're going to do a 10-minute talk on LPVOs. You ready? Yep. All right. So tell us about the uh, the evolution of the LPVO. So the the first time that I saw an LPVO, I think it was probably, you know, the CQT or whatever. And when I started inquiring about uh, the concept of, of a scope that could uh, could also be used as a primary optic for close quarter battle, um, I, I started hearing rumors about uh, requirements that were coming out after Somalia where positive identification of which individual down, down a street actually had a weapon. Uh, they could they could tell that gunfire was coming, but there were civilians running around or whatever, and they needed some more some more situational awareness down down there. But you've got guys that have rifles that they can't bring a traditional three to nine or whatever the flavor was back then of, of a lower power uh, two to seven or three to nine scope because they still need to be able to do CQB with the weapon. Right. So so there was this push to uh, you know optical engineers figure out a way that you can make one x one x and then give us some magnification on top of that so we want essentially a, a, a reflex optic that has magnification so the idea then is to be able to like kick down doors shoot real fast going yep. in but still maintain complete situational awareness of everything that's happening around you but then in in some other cases magnify to positively identify uh, a credible threat. Correct. Okay. Correct. So uh, reflex sights with magnifiers and low-power variable optics, depending on what you're using them for, can be complementary requirements uh, or, or competing requirements. Mm -hmm. Now, how well they fulfill that requirement, that's that's a point for another discussion. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors involved. Total system weight, uh, amount of mounting systems you have to buy, uh, impact shift between magnified and unmagnified when we're talking about reflex optics uh, or red dot sights. So there, there's a, there are a bunch of different factors there. Um, but in the LPVO market, LPVOs do more than one thing also. You could have somebody grab a 1 to 10 or a 1 to 8, and they want to put it on an SPR. Mm -hmm. um, and and but a, but a Vortex Razor HD2E one to six that's that is a that is a big huge heavy aim point. When I say aim point, I'm saying Red like dot for the for the job. Right. It is ninety nine percent of the time doing the same thing that a that a, a Unity One X Red Dot is, and one percent of the time you want to see more stuff. Right. Uh, so when you're picking low power variable optics, what what a one to eight can do, a stadia lines, first focal plane, like all these scopey things mm -hmm. that scopes do, they they don't really apply to like the assaulter guy. The assaulter guy just wants built-in magnification on a one X optic. That's it. So you've got to be careful when you're looking at reviews and people and whatever. Is it a former sniper guy? Is it a dude? I was in recce for recce, 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 <laughs> sniper, 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 and. And this is the best LPVO ever. Dude, you're a sniper. I bet you when I look through that thing, it's probably going to look like a sniper scope. Yeah. And it's probably going to have all kinds of uh, things and, and stuff. Right. And, and I'm saying that as a five-year, five-year, uh, you know, sn sniper guy myself. <laughs> um, uh, re reformed. <laughs> so back to, back to door <laughs> kicker. So when I look at it, I was like, well, I can look at this gadget 
like it's a snipery thingy or I can look at it like a, a dumb knuckle dragger. So I choose to look at my LPVOs like a dumb knuckle dragger mm -hmm. based on barrel length. It's all about what that rifle is doing for right. me. So a general purpose rifle or a, a patrol carbine, a CQB gun or whatever um, that has an LPVO on it, it's going to have different features than one that I want to put on a tricked out, you know, wildcat cartridge or 18 inch barrel you know 700 plus shooter they're going to be di just going to be different glass man right different missions different glass so like 700 yards and in you're looking at low power variables something like a one to six or the the new one to ten which is what you have there um and that's gonna do everything you need to do up close because of a forgiving eye box um large field of view i'm guessing yeah, field field of view and and eye box um, are my two biggest ones. Ah, daylight brightness, daylight, daylight brightness. brightness. It probably trumps field of view. So eye box probably number one, and daylight brightness number two. Field of view number three mm -hmm. for for me me judging lower end performance. Um, now this uh, piggybacking phenomenon that we're getting in, yeah, that now that now gives you a little bit more options. Um, so if you had a scope that did really great things on the higher end, you loved the stadia lines, you loved the clicky clicks, you loved all the snipery stuff about it, and it was just like a really tight eye box, and and you're like, man, I don't know if I'd want to kick down a door and try to like acquire somebody at speed with this. So we can we can piggyback um, smaller dots on there. Uh, I never considered doing it with the Vortex products because the uh, the field of view and eye box were just so good. Um, so then I had to start looking at well, why would I do that? And then if I am gonna surrender on the lower end of the magnification, then then why why do a one to anything? Mm -hmm. If I could do a 3 to 18 or something else, like why am I even messing around with low power at that point? If I'm going to surrender 1X and use a different optic to provide that, then just put a bigger scope on there and give me so much more, you know, three times yeah. from, from a 1 to 6, three times at 3 to 18. Um, and I'm not ever going to look through the scope at 3 and try to shoot somebody in a room because I've put another optic on the gun so that was a conundrum that i dealt with for a while and then you had you know total system weight and and a bunch of other things in involved so i was really excited when i saw the one to ten because i didn't really have to make some of those decisions like do i do one to six do i do three to 18 you know do i do one to six without a, any type of secondary sighting system because it can do it yep uh, or do i do a three to 18 ish type scope with um with the secondary optic and um, <clears throat> what I found is when I started getting away from throw lever uh, um, LPVO mounts, my iron sights that had been tucked up under the scope, not usable when the scope is mounted, um, you know, I'm telling myself, yeah, if I ever take a round in the scope, I'll just use my sling and pop my two throw levers, dump my optic in the dirt, flip up my irons, and, st and stay in the fight. Mm -hmm. And I had done that in training evolutions uh, with red dots that had failed on me or whatever and um uh what i realized was that that's that's not viable if right. you have iron sights on the 12 o'clock plane and you have half inch torqued um good quality zero retention you know rings 
you're fronting for the internet. You're 18 net, to 22 inch pounds. Yeah, you're not <laughs> going to you're you're not going to use those iron sights. You're doing that so that people don't make fun of you on the internet. That's really what it is because any <laughs> any time I put a picture of my three gun rifle on the internet, someone's always like, "Where's your backup irons?" Yep. And I fall back to like you know it's a competition gun. I don't need it, but then. I find that when I, I set up my truck gun, it's the same way. Yeah. I don't put irons on there because, like you said, it's torqued. So I, when am I going to be able to get that off? Mm-hmm. So uh, so then 45 offset irons, you know, became a thing. Knights has a good set. And the, the, I like their 600 meters, uh, bus Pros from Magpul. Uh, but when I went to the mall, they, they would not clear the B.E. Myers Mall laser on that side. The, mm-hmm. the iron sights were too shallow. So then I... Then I convinced myself, well, I'll just use the visible laser on the mall. That's my secondary sighting system. Well, okay, but only out to a certain distance with daylight brightness. Right. And if you had a red laser like an Atpel and you're saying that's your daylight backup, mm, you're kidding yourself, right? So um, so that's when I started to rethink, is there a place for a reflex sight on an LPVO gun? Like, I am happy with the 1 to 10s 1X. Like, I would go in a room and do something with this. Mm-hmm. But I also have this over here. So if this happened to be not 1X because I was doing something and then I needed to sh- do something up close, I can roll it in like three-gun style and, and do what I need to do. But essentially the real, the real reason why I have this is it's providing me uh, engagement and passive night vision, which is harder to do looking through an LPVO oh, okay. because the scope sticks back further. And so you get crashing well, and issues. And you have to worry about eye relief yep, and all of that. Box. So it's, uh, it's not undoable. Uh, it's not... Uh, it's not that you can't do it. It's just not optimal. You're lining up two tubes behind one another. So I have passive night vision engagement with this. It's backup irons for my primary optic. It sees over the top of my rifle. And uh, and so it's given me a lot of capability. And I would have told people that they were stupid for needing a mini red dot when you have an LPVO that yeah. has such a good 1X and a daylight bright dot. But this is complementing the setup. It's not replacing this setup. I can go in a room with this, or I can go in a room with this. They both can do the other thing. So it's a true backup secondary sighting system for me. Got it. So for the for folks listening at home and uh, not necessarily watching the video, we're looking at a, um, a Gen 3 1 to 10. We've got an offset red dot on. Is, do you call this a 45-degree mount? Would yep. you agree? Okay. 45-degree mount, and then you've got a, um, a mall uh, visible laser, right? Yeah. On, on the front, so the red dot rides above that, so you can actually clear the uh, the visible laser and yeah. uh, use that red dot. Yeah, this is a multifunction aiming laser. It works in IR. It works in the vis spectrum. You know, my white light's under it. Um, right now, I'm, I'm uh, using the Badger C1 system um, with their offset uh, J-arm design. Um, Trichicon RMR Gen 2, um, 06, and, uh, and my, my brand-new handy-dandy Gen 3 1 to 10, <laughs> which... I'm still doing some side-by-side stuff with the one to sixes to see if I'm giving up anything eyebox-wise that I'm kind of like, Ugh. but right now, the weight ain't different. I get four more X. I see some snipery stuff in there that I know the clicks and the mills do the thing with the thing, and I, you know, if I pulled out my data books, I could maybe actually shoot a hold or two in that <laughs> in, in that reticle. Uh, mills mean stuff, kids. Mills mean stuff. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's a good gun, man. It's Sons of Liberty Rifle. This thing's running like a raped ape. I love it. That's awesome. Okay, so, Chuck, thanks for uh, doing a 10-minute talk on uh, LPVOs, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me out, buddy.
All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chuck Pressburg. Super interesting guy. I got the opportunity to talk with him at the 2020 Shooters Symposium. I wish I could have seen some of his classes, though. Chuck was teaching night ops, so it didn't really work out. Anyway, as I mentioned earlier, got something cool I want to tell you about. You may have noticed that the Tactical Games has been doing a lot to educate people about their sport and how to compete, which is totally cool. They even have a training division, an app for your smartphone, and a cadre of instructors teaching or creating training programs. Well, Tactical Games reached out to me recently and they said, Dave, we want to work with you. We have a program that we think the Three Gun Show audience could really benefit from. So I looked into it. And they designed a program called Fast Track Speed and Agility. And it is intended for practical shooters, you know, three gunners, pistol shooters, two gun, PCC, etc. The intent of the program, as they say in their app, is increased foot speed, acceleration, and velocity to progress your tendons and muscles to handle more aggressive movement. And here's a big one for me. Take on less physical fatigue during matches, which translates to more mental acuity. And keep your knees, ankles, elbows, and wrists healthy. Judging by those goals, they obviously understand the needs of folks like us that shoot matches all the time. I'm on day three of the programming as you're listening to this, and I'm already digging it. There's an actual person doing the programming behind the scenes, and it changes daily. I'll try to get that person on the show um, at some point to talk about the intent and programming philosophies in, in the near future, so stay tuned for that one. The gym I go to here in Cheyenne is not a CrossFit gym, but they do have nearly everything I need to do the exercises straight from the app. So you can probably find this in your local gym, fitness center, or whatever. And the TTG training does offer substitutes or modifications if you don't have a specific piece of gear. And the best part, in my opinion, is that the programming is done for you. So you don't have to waste time figuring out what you're going to do when you hit the gym. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the app and to the training. If you're like me and you can feel yourself slowing down at the end of a match, or you just want every advantage you can get to be faster and to stay in this game longer, definitely check it out. 3gunshow.com slash 355. And I'll put some screenshots of the app in, in the post too so you can get a preview. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do that, but we'll just keep it between us. The 3 Gun Show is proud to be a part of the Firearms Radio Network. If you like this type of content, help us grow the show and the shooting sports by sharing with a friend. Just open the podcast app you're using right now and hit that share button. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the range.